podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. When we made our McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out and you were streaming tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. Break out the party hat emoji, because the six-piece spicy chicken McNuggets is just two fifty. And if that's not enough, try a spicy McCrispy or a spicy deluxe McCrispy. And if that's not enough, there's always the sauce. Price and participation may vary. Welcome to a very special World Cup and FIFA 19 edition of the Foot Weekly Podcast, hosted as always on Foothead and all your other podcasting platforms. We're coming to you this week from the heart of Moscow. It's the morning after the night before England won a penalty shootout and we were actually there. Once again, a huge thanks to all of you listeners and EA for making that possible. And also apologies as I've been really busy with work once again recently, so I haven't had the time to get these episodes out over the past few weeks. But fear not, we're looking at ways to make things more regular ahead of FIFA 19. Talking of which, I'm here with original co-host Horace, who's joining me for this special edition. Hello. And uh, I noticed you've uh, pulled a trick that you tend to reserve for guests on yourself today. You haven't introduced yourself. Uh, you are, of course, Ben. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well spotted. Um, and Horace, uh, as you're here and clearly so good at hosting podcasts, what have we got coming up in today's podcast? Uh, well, as you mentioned at the very top of the show, we've got a big focus on the World Cup and, of course, also FIFA 19 because uh, we're just starting to get information about what's coming up in that game. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna talk through the uh, the England game from yesterday, our general impressions of being out here in the World Cup. But then we've got a whole load of uh, analysis uh, and details about FIFA 19 coming up after that. Yeah, so people have been playing FIFA 19 at sort of EA Play, etc. I think it was, um, and uh, we've been speaking to Luke, who was there, just be kind of going through the features and talking about how we think that things are going to work next year and, and maybe bringing in some of our own opinion about whether we think they'll work. Um, and then I think, apart from that, um, we're going to start with the game yesterday. I know a few of you are keen to hear about what kind of the perspective was from the sidelines. Quite fortunate to be there, of course. And uh, one thing to note is we were definitely, definitely in the minority, full of Columbia fans. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's was it been crazy just the days in the build-up to the game because we've been out in Russia a couple of days, uh, came out over the weekend, so we had sort of Sunday, Monday uh, in, before the game. Uh, and over those days, we noticed the city filling with Colombians just everywhere, any tourist site, loads of yellow shirts, flags, mm-hmm. uh, dancing, drums, whatever, you, you name it. And we probably met, yeah, barely a handful of Brits in that whole time. We bumped into a guy filming a Netflix documentary. I'm not sure how much we're allowed to say about the documentary, <laughs> but um, he did interview us and he was basically saying it was like impossible to find. Yeah, I think they'd been out here a couple of days and we were the, the second English England fans that, that they'd encountered. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, seriously small numbers. I don't know if that's because of what happened at the Euros. Or, uh, or politics, just, maybe. Yeah, politics are just being trick, kind of tricky to get out here, but every World Cup recently has been tricky to get to South Africa Brazil mm. um, at least for England fans I guess it's not really Moscow's not really seen as like a, a great destination when you compare it to some places I guess but I mean it's been amazing like great city um, really kind of interesting uh, very friendly people um, yeah. it's been really good um, but yeah I mean in the stadium this uh, this disparity in the numbers was so extreme yeah. it just it was a sea of yellow all around the stadium there were pockets of England fans 
there was one one stand or yeah, kind of part kind of, of a stand goal, yeah. behind one of the goals where there was a, a decent like contingent of England fans. I think if you're looking, you were watching it on TV, that would have been on the the right hand side. Uh, we were we were at the opposite side of the stadium, so it was our left. There was one block of England fans, and they would if they started a chant, you could just about hear it over the Colombians, but. The rest of the stadium was really significantly Colombian. I mean, just to give you a sense of that, we'll just drop in a quick clip, and here's uh, the start of the game, so when England had possession at the right at the beginning. Yeah, and uh, that wasn't the only recording we did at the stadium. You've heard that bit at the beginning. But we also did some uh, very quick predictions. I'm pleased to say that I did uh, call penalties. Yeah, then then correctly guessed that uh, England were going to, uh, I think the phrase you used was break the hoodoo. Yeah. Uh, and win a penalty shootout. But I mean, not going to say you got it exactly right. You did have a few other predictions in there uh, alongside that that weren't quite as accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a bit of a thriller. I'm going to say 3-3 and they, England are going to break their hoodoo and win on penalties. <laughs> yeah, so not spot on. <laughs> yeah, not, not quite, but, no. uh, but not bad, not bad getting the penalty shout right. I was just way off all, yeah. all over there. <laughs> not sure what bother clipping yours, it was like 3-1. Yeah. Um, so there are, I think, a few things that we sort of spotted in the stadium, which maybe people watching on TV might not quite have picked up on. And also there's a few things which I think... Uh, it's quite interesting from a media perspective. I mean, anyone who goes to obviously football games will know, but sometimes what you see in the game is a little bit different to how it's presented on TV. And, and having yeah. sort of caught up on coverage, <laughs> it was quite it was quite a weird game in a way. Uh, not too much action. Yeah, I mean, not I think trying to think back at the when the game had finished, I was trying to think back to like the clear cut chances that either team had, and there really weren't very many. Uh, I think the the notable impression I got was England kept possession very well. They had the ball a lot. Uh, and I think we mentioned before, but it's worth reiterating just the noise and the amount of whistling and booing as England had the ball was insane in the stadium. And you, it was basically like an away game. Yeah, but, but, but even, even more worse, than that, yeah. because you don't normally in an away game, you'll have the away fans stand who can sometimes drown out the home fans for, for moments. But here, it was, that was just impossible. Um, but yeah, your, your point about kind of picking things up, picking up on things when you're in the stadium rather than watching on TV because uh, particularly when the ball's out of play, I think the cameras will choose what to focus on. And we noticed, at least in the, the coverage that we've seen uh, since the game, uh, they really probably didn't pick up on or comment on as much the gamesmanship that, that the England, this England mm. team employed, like the amount of time wasting that went on as we were trying to run down the clock to the 90th minute. Uh, Ashley Young went down for God knows how long. It coincided perfectly with Ben going to the loo. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> my he, man Ashley he, just helping me out. Ben make, uh, Ashley making sure Ben didn't miss anything. Um, loads of things like that. Pickford, uh, the ball came back to him, uh, and it wasn't a back pass, so he was allowed to pick it up. But he just like sat there over the ball, not touching it for as long as possible before picking it up. And kind of on set pieces, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily see it, but the Colombians were all quite quite wound up. Uh, that was obvious. There were lots of yellow cards, loads of fouls. But I think the England fan, England players were kind of doing what they could to try and get at the Colombian players, get in their heads. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they were 
noticeably kind of easily stirred up and the crowd maybe didn't help in that sense because naturally they were like hugely biased yeah and, yeah and some even obvious decisions there was one i think yellow card for quadrado which yeah but he just like came steaming in on uh is either actually young or danny rose yeah, i can't yeah, remember what danny point rose, I, think it was. Danny rose I think that was the point. only time that they didn't complain and the complaining was so obvious because of the crowd noise and it was really interesting actually seeing the in the stadium the neutrals there were a lot of russians there i guess com- mm. kind of compensating for the lack of england fans and they were really um, initially supportive of England just because the Colombian fans were so annoying almost. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they were annoying, but they were they, they were just, they were just like unavoidable. There were so many of them, so loud. I think an underdog kind of thing. Even if Colombia weren't the underdogs. Yeah, I guess England were, Sorry, te- England were the technically the favourites, but just by virtue of there being a few like smaller number of England fans, uh, the, the neutrals. We got the sense, certainly around us, from the handful of people we spoke to, that they were siding with England. But that did sort of change over the game. There were yeah. moments where they were supporting Colombia, and particularly when they got the last-minute equaliser, just for the drama Everyone that Everyone was added. excited about that. Yeah, yeah. And it was hard not to get a bit excited about that. But also, the other thing that's interesting is that I think because England were time-wasting um, a lot, really, towards the end, um, as we were saying, because you know, on TV it cuts away, you don't tend to see it. Um, you like honestly, uh, you could tell neutrals were kind of like supporting Colombia yeah. at that point. Oh yeah, there was there was the moment uh, when Delhi Ali got subbed off. He <laughs> clocked that his number was on the sub board earlier on, and he had gone as far over to the other side of the pitch <laughs> as he could. He was on the opposite touchline, halfway towards the corner flag, when uh, the the ref like came up to him and told him to start heading off the pitch. Uh, and that was just like a little thing he was because he was way out of position he was playing central, central midfield and it was yeah. like a goal kick or something there's no reason for him to be out there but uh, just to make sure that that walk off the pitch took as long as possible so these little things I guess as a neutral might sort of start to wind you up and swing you towards supporting the other team and Ashley Young is honestly just the king of this like <laughs> it was so clear I think like there was some question marks about whether Danny Rose is perhaps better left back or left wing back and I think he probably is to be honest even as a Manchester United fan but he's got that kind of will to win that just tries everything to make sure that the clock was running down. Yeah. It's quite funny. And actually, saying it's funny, obviously, it wasn't particularly funny to the Colombians, who were pretty irate about the whole thing. Um, but, you know, they got their equaliser. And I've got to say, like, it shows how much of a bad fan I am of, of whatever team I support, because I kind of was secretly, like, enjoying Colombia scoring to yeah. sort of kind of we were so, increase it, the drama. <laughs> as it was looking like the game was going to peter out to a 1-0, we were sort of thinking, well, great, we're into the next round. But it hadn't been that much drama at that point, and we thought foolishly oh, wouldn't it be great if uh, or not, we never we never quite said wouldn't it be great if Columbia equalised but we were kind of hoping for one last bit of drama one last bit of tension but it was so tense like <laughs> I have never felt like that before yeah, it was I've, I've never seen a penalty shootout in a, in the flesh um, and for the first one I see to be an England penalty shootout and, and for it to be one that we and, won and their first World Cup insane. penalty shootout win I mean yeah that whole thing of like the, the, the fact that England have such a bad record at penalties and, and I mean I think that this is kind of not a notice thing I've noticed from the match necessarily but the quality of penalties the like nerve penalty takers was like really noticeable yeah it was um, really I mean to be honest I think in the whole shootout there was only one bad penalty really and that was mm. uh, Uribe the guy yeah, that cannoned it off the bar oh, yeah. if you look back at the replays of that his technique's all over the place he's just it looks like he's, he's just swung it. a foot at it and he sliced it Mm. Uh, pretty much everyone else was like controlled they knew where they were trying to put it on both sides this is and mm-hmm. it, there was the both the Ospina and the Pickford saves for the for the penalties that were saved were really good yeah yeah definitely and I think one of the things to notice which sort of everyone around us was saying there's a few Russians who spoke a little bit of English just how good Kane is which is again yeah. hard to appreciate 
it, sort of. it, I mean, as an Arsenal fan, it pains me to say it, but he is an <laughs> astonishingly good player. Just I don't, I, I can't remember a single time in the game, maybe once, yeah. where he came in contact with the ball and England didn't retain possession in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he didn't, uh, I don't think he had a shot from open play maybe, but that didn't really matter because he was just tying the whole team together. He'd pick up the ball, uh, he'd either run with it, he'd turn, he's, so, he's really strong physically, he, kind of, he doesn't really look like it, but he shields it very well. And he drew so many fouls. I think there was a stat. He, this was the second most fouls ever on an England player in a World Cup yeah, game, yeah, uh, a, or certainly the the most in in a long time. Yeah, like yeah. Shearer had more on him uh, back in the nineties at one point. But um, yeah, he's he's quite a player. Yeah, he was really good, and I think it makes sense to, to be captain having seen that game as well. Because another thing you're just seeing off the ball, like he keeps a very cool head, but is mm. kind of happy to kind of like oh, chat yeah, and it would have sure been it would have been really easy, I think, for England to get drawn into the. Uh, the kind of hot-headedness that was going around. Uh, like the whole stadium was pretty riled up and everyone was quite tense. Uh, but Harry Kane just led by example, like uh, particularly, I think, for the penalty. I mean, that was definitely... The media mm. drew a lot of attention to that kind of... Uh, one of the Colombian players just following him round. And that went on for sort of 10, 15 seconds. He just... Wherever he went, he just was coming as close to him as he could. Um, and also, sorry, just thinking about other things we noticed sort of around the game... England fans so there were all the England fans behind the goal everyone sort of congregated in that corner one of the most interesting things was that actually Gareth Southgate got like the biggest response like even more than Harry Kane when he came out which was quite yeah yeah kind of the England players were all because there was a, a friends and family section of the stand yeah. where all the England's uh, all the well I guess the guests of the England players uh, were, were watching the match uh, and all the players were coming out of the dressing room to go over and say hi to them and also to say hi to the fairly large contingent of England fans that had stayed behind uh, and yeah the cheer when Southgate came out and, and gave a little uh, bit of applause to, to the fans was was huge mm. and shout out to Jesse Lingard I think he was like one of the only players who came over to sign off cross and stuff so. yeah 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 that's what seems like a really good guy yeah um, and it was, yeah, it was a pretty I mean obviously it was just a phenomenal experience to you know see a last 16 game at all was amazing um, both of us had pretty mixed feelings um, when Yanazai curled in that goal against, <laughs> against England. Um, I, I think my feelings weren't even that mixed. I was just really fucking happy. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> and uh, Pickford, legend for letting that in. Yeah, yeah. Legend for Good what move. he did in the penalty shootout. Good move there. Yeah, it's been, it, was, it was incredible. And, uh, you know, we've got one more game. We've got the quarterfinal match. Uh, we're going to be seeing France-Uruguay, so that's really exciting as well. Um, I imagine I'll be slightly less stressed watching that than yeah, I was watching England. Part of me is like kind of happy <laughs> there's no, less pressure um, because it was, yeah. it was so tense like I can't even I think one final note on the game is a bit of sympathy for the Colombian fans because yeah. uh, they were in terms of supporting their team the passion and, and the amount of chanting uh, was unbelievable and the, the guys around us were they, were they were nice guys like when we knew when it was full time 120 minutes uh, all the Colombian fans around us, like because we were the two, we were two England fans, just no one else. There were, there were a couple of Russians, and Russians. Yeah. a couple of Belgians near us who I think oh, yeah, yeah. weren't very happy about that Yanezai goal the other week. <laughs> but um, uh, all, we kind of like shook hands with all of them, said good game, kind of. It was all like quite nice and friendly, in spite of the fact it was about to go to penalty shootout. Um, so yeah, a bit, bit of sympathy for them because it's a really horrible way to lose a match. Yeah, and you know things may have been diff- different if like James Rodriguez had been fit. You know, there's there's a lot of factors involved, um, and I, I actually personally thought like because um, it was kind of noticeable in the stadium in terms of momentum that uh, Southgate's substitutions maybe weren't the best. Yeah, that like... is an interesting point. I think we were both hoping to see Rashford get a bit more game time. 
because he came he came on in central midfield, and we were thinking it's the last five six minutes of extra time. You really want Rashford to be testing people with his pace, uh, mm. but he was kind of restricted by the position he was playing. He didn't have the license there to dribble with the ball and attack people because he he had that much more defensive responsibility. Mm. So um, I thought, yeah, that was a questionable decision, maybe. Yeah, it was interesting. And then Vardy, I wasn't sure about him coming on. Um, He seemed to be saving his substitutions a little bit. To me, Lingard, when we could tell from watching, kind of following him around the pitch from the stand, Lingard looked really tired, actually, I I thought. Sort of from the 80th minute onwards, he wasn't... Maybe before that. Yeah, arguably before that. He wasn't chasing balls as, as hard. He just didn't seem to, to trust himself properly. Maybe that's yeah, partly he was on a yellow card. But still, I, I thought that I was sort of... I don't know why he didn't make the like, Loftus-Cheek substitution. That, you know, bringing him on for either Lingard or... Because he brought on Diet, which yeah. I think just made the game slip towards the momentum of Columbia a bit more because obviously yeah. they then had kind of more attacking players. Um, they'd already made loads of attacking substitutions, so they were kind of like... Pressing yeah, for yeah, it. the dire change. He he gave the ball away a few times, and I mean, fair play to him. Fantastic composure to score that winning penalty. But mm. I think in the in the when he was actually on the pitch, he he, he didn't have a great game. Well, don't forget, you can follow us um, at Foot Weekly Pod and um, at Foot Weekly Ben. We're still here, and we'll be here for a couple more days. We're going to be watching France against uh, Uruguay. So we'll be posting a few things around that, but we probably won't have another podcast out while in Russia just because time constraints. But we'll look forward to updating you when we next speak to you in a future podcast. Yeah, so let's uh, let's move on to a bit of chat about FIFA 19. And we're just starting to get some information about uh, what's going to be new in the game, what's going to be different. I think the sort of headline news so far is the Champions League licence for, for FIFA uh, that EA have secured. That news came out uh, a few weeks back now. But uh, it's got some fairly significant implications. Yeah, it's like the biggest, most headline-grabbing thing about the new game, I think. But it's actually probably the least interesting, almost. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, from I know the hardcore player perspective, it's like... I mean, I'm sure they'll introduce things into the foot mode, and like, and there's going to be a Champions League mode. But I don't know whether that's really going to be what people are interested in about the new game, who are listening to this podcast, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think what people are most interested in, really, are probably the what it's going to mean for foot. Uh, and how it's going to be integrated into the foot game mode. So I think one thing that to note, we'll almost certainly get a new type of special card, I'd have thought, or certainly, because mm-hmm. uh, EA have used the generic Team of the Tournament cards for, for like at the end of the Champions League and Europa League group stages. Uh, so we may well get, now they can use the branding, why not? Uh, they'll probably have specific Champions League cards. Uh, and I think something from a sort of game design point of view that, is linked to this in that it's to do with it's related to Champions League. It's the first example of it that we know is going to exist. Is uh, in the uh, Champions and Ultimate Edition of FIFA 19 that EA are offering for pre-order. You get a UEFA Champions League Gold Player Pick, uh, where it says you can choose one of five 80 to 83 rated gold players from qualified teams, uh, and we think that that could be alluding to something that I think Ben's touched on before, which would be sort of draft-style packs. Yeah, so basically five players will flash up a bit like draft, kind of random Champions League 80 to 83 rated players, and then you'll pick one of those to go into your club. So basically, instead of just a normal pack, maybe you do an SPC, you get a pack, but the pack is five players, one of which you choose. Kind of interesting. Yeah, it, I guess, reduces overall the randomness in the packs, because it's essentially saying... 
uh, here is uh, here are some criteria of player, and we're going to give you a few players that meet that criteria. Yeah, uh, and you can choose the one that best suits you. Or, I mean, in most cases, if it's tradable, it'll probably be the most valuable one uh, to, to take a slightly Which, more cynical approach to it. But, but then, interestingly, that would still... drive down the price. Yeah, exactly. If everyone goes for it, if, so, yeah. if people have more control over which player they pack more often then that will probably have market implications uh, or at least it will uh, help to balance the market and limit Mm -hmm. players becoming uh, significantly overpriced. And talking of market implications, our favourite market implicator um, (laughs) for economists um, was kind of thinking that this might not actually be foot-related. He thinks that this random pick... Um, for five players might be something to do with like a Champions League mode um, there is going to be a Champions League mode but I just thought it was going to be the teams that you know a bit like career mode you know yeah yeah. Um, so I'm not quite sure it might it might be that this isn't going to go into your foot club which definitely wasn't explicit but you would have thought it would have been I don't know yeah exactly it's, it's, read at, into at, at the moment it's it's just this is our analysis that's what we we think is most likely from what it said but, but we don't know anything for certain mm-hmm. yeah and I guess one final thing on the Champions League for those people that are big career mode fans, it'll just add that extra level of immersion. I think it always felt mm. weird when I used to play, I used to play a fair bit of career mode. I mean, mostly before Ultimate Team was a thing, but the uh, the lack of branding on the uh, European, European Cup. Cup that yeah. I was playing in as as my favourite Arsenal always just felt like a little mm. bit jarring. It wasn't it wasn't a big problem, but it it just adds that extra little something. Yeah, exactly. So I think that the interesting thing I was saying about the Champions League offering is that I reckon that it will allow EA to focus on the other aspects of the game because it's such a big, significant kind of draw for people. Mm-hmm. Your average player, your kind of less committed player is going to see this Champions League branding, the kind of theatrical elements um, in the trailers, etc., and be really pumped up by that because it's not something we've seen before. So I don't think EA will feel the need to go big on the feature side so much. And I think that's where those people who work on that kind of stuff can be working on. Um, smaller tweaks um, which are going to make a huge difference in terms of competitive play in terms of I guess like your gameplay experience and judging by reports from the likes of Luke and Chewboy who've played this FIFA 19 build basically it looks like a lot of tweaks going to happen which are going to be quite positive yeah from from what people who've played the game have said it seems like EA are really focusing on kind of adding to the level of uh, control on quite a kind of precise level that you have over things just so many more things to customize so many more things that you as the player have control over that aren't just handled by the AI uh, which I think is going to go quite a way to essentially I mean it's a buzzword that some people like some people hate but to to increase the skill gap Mm. Uh, I think it just means there are more things that the player has control over which means more comes down to player skill yeah I I think I agree with that Uh, I think the the key kind of gameplay aspects that we're talking about here are big and I mean linking very much to what you've just said uh, changes to shooting which has always been a very kind of I don't know straightforward part of the game yeah it seems like shooting's had really quite a big overhaul this year which is something it hasn't had in years and it's never had that much skill involved it's basically certainly in the last couple of years do you know how to do a low driven shot uh, and that's that's the the primary thing when you're finishing in in the area was to keep it low but now we're going to see the double tap shot which uh, brings an element of timing into it uh, so from what people have said how this is going to work is you press shoot and your player will start the shoot animation and you press shoot again as they make contact with the ball and the better you time that the better connection you get with the ball and if you time it perfectly you'll get a really really high quality shot 
uh, which can be very hard for the keeper to save and it's just going to increase your chance of scoring a goal. But if you get it a little bit wrong, then your player will quite likely sky it, scuff it, get it wrong somehow. Uh, so it's basically a high-risk approach in that if you get it completely right, the payout is excellent. But if you get it wrong, it will be worse than if you hadn't hit the double tap and had just done a regular shot. Mm-hmm. And so they've kind of removed double tap from the game, essentially. But it's still in the game under a different button. It's no, nobody's ever going to be calling it double tap because it'll be both. I think you hold top both buttons, shoulder buttons, both LB, RB, or, or, uh, L1, R1 plus shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do a, a low shot. So I imagine you could then still combine that with the double tap to get like a low mm. double tap, well-timed shot. But yeah, so I think uh, relearning the muscle memory for that might take a little while. Yeah, it's also going to be interesting in terms of if you're playing the demo, there's normally a time when you might play some games on the old game mm-hmm. before release, and that'll be quite weird. I guess people might not want to do that, in fact. So uh, a couple of the other things that came out of the kind of shooting micro elements of the new game we've also got stuff like turning off auto lunges yeah which is quite interesting Uh, so yeah that'll be in your settings somewhere and this is something people have complained about a lot over this year uh, and sometimes it really screws you over Uh, but you had like an interesting take on that yeah i think it's one of one of those things where people are like remembering the kind of 10 penalties they conceded over the past year playing a thousand games where because of an auto lunge Mm. and be like i need to turn this off and they're actually going to be at a disadvantage because auto lunging is really important to think, have that AI assistance because you, there's no button to lunge to get the ball. The ball will just go past you. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how many people actually keep it off after switching off. I'm sure I'll, I think I'll try switching it off uh, at some point early on in the game, see how it works. But uh, I think there's a good chance that that'll just reduce the number of interceptions your players make. Uh, and also sometimes players do sort of auto tackle Mm. Uh, when you're in the box and if that if auto lunging includes that then um, that could put you at a disadvantage as well yeah definitely and the other gameplay element is um, having a modifier LT to trigger a volley rather than a header yeah so I think that's kind of if your player's receiving the ball in the air you'll be able to uh, explicitly say whether you want them to go with their foot or their head which is a really useful thing yeah currently I think if you did that it does a flare shot yeah, I think technically it increases the likelihood of doing trying to do like a scorpion kick or something, but a lot of players it just does nothing. I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that would be kind of helpful. I wonder whether that's possible just as a shooting thing or like you can initiate a volley for clearing because sometimes they'll head it and you're like, oh, you could have just put your foot through it, it away. Yeah. Same with a lot of like a pass, maybe a volleyed pass or whatever, rather than like a headed pass, those kind of things. It would be kind of helpful if they had that for all elements, I suppose. And moving away from the in-game specific things, like changes to controls, uh, it seems that EA have also really uh, revamped how tactics work. Mm. And I think the most significant thing with this is uh, the introduction of game plans. Yeah, we, We've heard, uh, I think Chewboy does an excellent breakdown of it, but for people that, that haven't heard that, what it's going to be is uh, when the way you can now change uh, from balanced attacking, ultra-attacking, each one of those uh, general approaches of your team will be will have its own formation and player set of player positions that you mm. can set up before the match, which means that on the fly you can change your team's approach. Uh, say, I've just scored a goal, I want to go a bit more defensive. You hit defensive, that can have a whole new formation for your team and a whole new set of positions that your players are in. Uh, and I think the most one of the most significant implications of this is uh, potentially the end of uh, pausing in the first minute to change yeah, your team to cool. how you actually want it to be. Because yeah, basically what people are going to do is set 
a individually customized team completely change you can completely change the positions of your players the formation custom tactics setup all that kind of stuff instructions i assume um if they're still i don't we, we, there's a lot of stuff which is still is i guess going to change ahead of the game but basically you'll go attacking or defensive or something like that and your team will switch around um and so building your team will now basically be building your team to get the best chemistry for the players rather than a formation that mm. you want because you'll just be able to switch to a formation in game yeah i think it'll be interesting to see i mean one thing to note on all of this is we don't have confirmation that this is going to be available in ultimate team that is a good point because the the build of the game that has been played at, at the big gaming events like e3 were was a head-to-head build so it's basically a, a one-on-one offline friendly uh, not ultimate team specific so we have no confirmation that any of these features will be an ultimate team. I think this would be fantastic if it was. Yeah, uh, and so I think we're going to continue under the assumption it is, but because also but a like, big I mean, disclaimer, it might not be. It is one of the biggest, most kind of. I mean, most players play it, so it would be slightly odd. Yeah, if they to, we have we have seen features be available in head to head that aren't an ultimate team because of balance issues in the past. But mm. but hopefully this will be. Yeah, like so editing formations, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Customizing the position of your players was removed shortly after uh, Foot Champs came out in FIFA 17 because uh, people were abusing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I I think one thing uh, that EA might be worried about with the game plans thing is it being abused, sort of uh, as you were saying, Ben, where people have their their balanced basic setup as just purely get the players I need with chemistry, and then they never actually use that in game. They just have uh, an attacking setup that is there their actual balanced approach because if you can customize the, the custom tactics for that then it doesn't really matter or more likely defensive which or, is or more likely defensive but but what i what i mean is the kind of attacking yeah, yeah. label doesn't necessarily have to have any kind of stuff, bearing yeah. on how your team actually plays yeah i, I guess yeah, i guess it's a good point unless that actually does move your team up and down uh, yeah it, well. it may it may have some fundamental differences it makes but the other aspect too i think is that you know custom tactics and all that kind of stuff is going to change it seems as well Mm. yeah it seems like they're they're giving a lot more information a lot more detail about what things actually do and i think this was in the game in the past where uh you can change your team's overall approach to attacking or defending and it gives you a little uh diagram a kind of radar view of of an example of how that is actually going to affect your team's positioning and how they play on in the game yeah it used Uh, to be on like I think FIFA 11 for sure. You had this like little radar view, and it all the players like moved around the little arrows to demonstrate yeah. what's happening. Which is, I mean, that really is needed because it's a bit of a bit of a stab in the dark for most people. You almost had to Google it to find out what the bit yeah, the exactly. sliders did. I think when people saw that custom tactics were available in Ultimate Team a couple of years ago, uh, people were all obsessed with trying to tweak them. But that was just a lot of detective work you had to do to work out what the hell mm. the sliders were actually changing. So I think we think the sliders are gone. So, for example, for defending, you could have your team set to constant pressure, drop back, pressure on heavy touch, pressure on uh, possession loss, and that'll change how your team responds to your opponent uh, when when you're on the ball. Whether these are going to be abusable, whether constant pressure is just objectively better than the others for Mm, ultimate team, it's going to be something to see. But that could see a kind of development of a meta game where uh, people, everyone does constant pressure, so people develop tactics that play around that, and then another one of those tactics becomes the best. And that mm. that that's that's kind of healthy for a game if it's possible that all of them can be effective. Yeah, exactly. uh, or at least if it's possible that more than one can be effective. I think that's kind of the necessity for for a healthy meta game. And there are other things which are going to be important in terms of kind of um, customizing and attacking sense. So like you'll be able to 
get your wingers to hug the touchline, mm-hmm. things like that. Various little tweaks in game which you can just hit off the D-pad really quickly, which is going to allow more flexibility yeah. basically going forward. Uh, and I think also you're going to have more granular control over things like uh, how many players uh, go up the corners, how many players get, uh, how many players you want to have in the box when you're crossing uh, for free kicks. I think that's something that we've wanted for a long time. The thing getting that, counted off yeah. corners is... The only control we'd had over that in the past was just your general team mentality. If you were ultra-defensive, you don't, maybe only have two players up for a corner, uh, but you don't want to be switching to ultra-defensive every time you're kind of predicting if the ball's going to go up for a corner and trying to hammer it back <laughs> to ultra-defensive if, if you don't want to, to have players up for the corner. And also the other thing I would love to see is a very specific maybe ordering system of like this is my best header of the ball mm. this is my second best this is my third just I don't know whether for some reason the game just cannot calculate that clearly uh, but then I guess it's tricky because how do you match that up against your opponent's players but yeah. the amount of times you have you know your one of your weakest players in the air Neymar for example he's actually not that short and maybe that's why they th- it thinks he's alright in the air and he's like marking Naldo or something yeah I think it, it seems over uh, certainly in FIFA 18 on, on an attacking corner for example It'll get the player that it calculates as your best aerial threat will be at the near post, and that's just a given that's going to happen. So if you, basically, if you've got a special version of Cristiano Ronaldo in your team, he'll probably be there. And that not having any control over that has always felt a little frustrating because it, it limits what you can do and how creative you can be with set pieces. And also, you can manually move them, of course. Yeah, you can. You can manually really move them, but only one at a time yeah. as well. But we don't yet. We don't have any confirmation that you'll be able to select which players go up. I think just how many. Mm, so yeah. that I think that's something to bear in mind. That's not. That's not leap to conclusions that we're going to have fully customizable set pieces because I don't think that's the case. Cool. So I've just seen the uh, team of the match days come out. So we'll we'll have a little chat about that. Kind of old school looking at players, checking out their stats, which we enjoy. Um, but let's quickly do some final FIFA 19 stuff before we move on. I think actually one of the biggest things is uh, some UI UX improvements, which sounds strange, but um, they've changed it so that. When you do second man press, there'll actually be like a a marker above the player showing that you're second man pressing with that specific player. And also the marker above a player will indicate that's the player you're going to switch to when you auto switch, yeah. which is pretty helpful, actually. I think if you use that correctly, it could be really good. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, I mean, again, it ties into the uh, additional kind of uh, number of things you have to keep track of and more mm. kind of skill gap. Uh, but it's essentially an extra cursor. Uh, so they're now going to be three. There's your player, your opponent's player, and your second cursor, which is the, the player that will be switched to if you press L1 and the player that will do second man press. And so I suppose you can probably switch that with the right stick, mm. I would assume. Do you think that might be your opponent's pressing player as well? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know, might be four. Yeah, just we'll find out. crazily cluttered screen. <laughs> uh, no, I think that'd be good. And something else along the same theme as that, which ties back into the custom tactics, when you're se- selecting your custom tactics using the D-pad, apparently, uh, according to what we've heard, there are useful little toggles to tell you which one is currently active. Because mm. uh, at the moment, you can. I'll sometimes find if I go a goal down late on in a match, I'll use some of the ones that exist at the moment, like high pressure or team pressing. Uh, and it can be quite hard to mm. necessarily tell if those have actually been activated or to remember if you set one of them earlier in the match and whether it's still active. Yeah. Uh, so apparently we'll just have a like, nice little toggle for that, which is little uh, incremental improvements. And also I think the overall theme to these changes overall is improving player experience on maybe a slightly more deep level mm. to what we used to. So all these things are clearly a focus which 
we haven't really seen on a large-ish scale or I mean, maybe that's kind of esports led but either way it's going to benefit your more committed players like us that we plenty to chat about this kind of thing early on in the game I'm sure foot tactician is uh, licking his lips already about <laughs> all this stuff but you know it's going to be really interesting to see and I think what this also hopefully hopefully suggests is that there's going to be more transparency I get the feeling from EA that there is a move towards that this year you know they've got Corey in community manager for the whole of EA and then they've got Gab as well who's just doing FIFA he's been constantly trying to put feelers out pick up what people are saying what feedback people have and I think we will probably see more transparency in terms of things like chem styles those kind of things next year i reckon they might put together articles like we had before mm. um, because ultimately that was the quickest and best way really to just communicate this stuff that people are always questioning EA about basically yeah yeah i mean exactly it, w- it was mad that chem styles existed in the game for was it a couple of years before mm. we knew actually what they did what the stat differences were and there was no reason to assume that a chem style that had two arrows boosting shooting would do something different to another one that had two arrows boosting shooting. Uh, but well, that obviously did. does happen, <laughs> uh, which is, thinking back on it is kind of insane. Uh, and even there is this article that, that breaks it down in, in great detail, but that's not especially well publicised. It came out a year or two ago, and, and so that's why we now know what the chem styles do. I, I imagine going forwards we will see more transparency on those sorts of things. Mm. And actually, you know, while we're talking about this, if you've got any points you want to raise or constructive criticism that you want us to pass on to EA or feedback on, like let us know. We're always kind of always listening to your thoughts as well as chatting about our thoughts, of course. And that goes for everything in this podcast. Like anything, do get in touch at Foot Weekly Pod on Twitter or footweekly at mail.com. Cool. Should we uh, should we chat about some insanely high rated <laughs> uh, team in the match day cards? And actually, we haven't done a podcast since Team of the Match Day. So quickly, what do you think, Oris? Yeah, I really like what EA have done with it, to be honest. I think uh, in previous years, we've never really had this much content with players that are relevant to the game after Team of the Season. It's always mm-hmm. been sort of Team of the Season, that's your team, because no players are going to come out that are going to be better than the cards released around that time. And we've just seen in this uh, in this one, uh, Neymar has a card better than his Team of the Season, as does Suarez, as does Cavani, as does Mbappe. Uh, I may have missed out others, but they're just the ones that, that leap out at me. So I think it's it's just, yeah, great. I haven't actually used any of the Team of the Match Day uh, cards yet. Do you think it's that thing of people have made their teams? I think that's the case for so many people. I think, yeah, maybe out of habit, because in previous years, uh, Team of the Season was sort of the, the final hurrah for the year, like the, like the biggest release of high-rated cards. Uh, I think quite a few people would have gone all in on some untradables. I know we both have the 97 Neymar untradable. Mm. It's got a big chunk of coins. Uh, we both did a couple of big icons around the time of Team of the Season. So we've got them untradable. Uh, and, of course, all the untradable Team of the Season SBCs. Uh, a lot of people are locked into teams because of having untradable cards. So I've got, like, mm. 98 Salah untradable. So he, he has a fairly <laughs> locked-in position in my team at right wing uh, or at right mid. Uh, it, it's kind of it's a little tricky to to juggle things around dramatically if there's a player you're yeah, desperate to try out. The other thing is these players are not actually that cheap. I think just because there aren't many people opening packs, so yeah, you're not going to get like the really good value. You know, even even some of the worst players are like still with you know seventy eighty k. And I don't know. Part of me just wonders what the maybe next year I'll look at going a bit more tradable just because I mean we're not going to have this next year because it's not yeah. not here yeah. either. So maybe it's a bad example, but just kind of. I think locking so much away untradeable wasn't necessarily the best decision because actually I used to quite enjoy just selling my whole team, completely new squad, new players. Yeah. Like, 
a bit of a yeah, refresh. Definitely. And it keeps the game a little bit more interesting at this stage. Whether you want to keep the game interesting at this stage, that's up to you. But I think it, you know, there 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 is a long game to FIFA you can play where you kind of change your team quite a lot. With icons coming in this year in terms of the prime SPCs, that's changed and like the there has been this move towards having heavily untradeable teams. Mm. I'm not sure whether that is the best way forward, but some of the players you can't get unless you do the SPCs. Yeah, exactly. I think something also to note with these is the EA seem to have been a bit stingy with these cards in comparison to, say, Team of the Season, where you would be able to get... They did uh, twice each week with each Team of the Season. There's a fairly affordable SPC to get an untradeable card from that Team of the Season. Whereas this time round, we've had, I think, is it 24-hour-long SPCs coinciding with some of the team in the match day releases where you submit an 86 rated squad with 75 chemistry which is going to set you back probably at least 100k if you're buying all the players from scratch to get a pack that gives you any festival of football card from any release which could include like left back laxalt who has 54 defense yeah exactly and and it's untradeable mm. uh so it's that's a pretty Basically sig- not worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty significant investment. I think I've done one of those packs, and I'm going to hold it until the end of the tournament, when there are going to be the the, the average rating of players in the across all the festival football cards will, I would assume, be at its highest. Mm. Uh, I'll have one roll of the dice. You're just going to get our favourite sodium free friend. Yeah, that's all. That's all. Um, after that terrible joke, probably time to move on to the actual players. I think my pick has got to be William because I have him in my team and I kind of wasn't too aware of what was going on with Clark Glory having been in Moscow. But yeah, there he is. Gone from 87, fairly decent but not amazing card. Um, but I've been using him as like a basically a right wing back in the 3-4-2-1. And yeah, he's going to be kind of much more suited to that role now because with Shadow he'll have sort of 80s standing tackle, kind of those like slightly more improved defensive stats. Mm. Every now and again, I need to switch the team to a four at the back, so we'll put him in right back at times if I'm attack- if I'm playing quite attacking. Um, so that's really good. Big pay- uh, Well, fairly big strength boost as well, which is quite nice. The good thing is that having Shadow on him won't be an issue now because his other stats have improved so much. Yeah, yeah, he's actually looking at him, had really significant boosts to dribbling and shooting uh, mm. and passing. So, so I think that, that 91 William looks really strong. Uh, for me, I think... Uh, one of the interesting players to look at in this in this week is, is Suarez. Mm. Uh, I've not actually used him at all this year, but I've heard so many good things from so many good people. And he's kind of one of those weird players where he's got a couple of stats that are distinctly weak, essentially, namely his balance and sprint speed. For a 99-rated player. For a 99-rated <laughs> card, yeah, exactly. He's got 88 sprint speed and 99 acceleration and 69 balance and only 81 jumping. I think those are the ones that kind of leap out at me looking at him. Other than that, he's almost maxed out. His dribbling stats are all 99, except balance and composure, composure being at 95. And his physical stats are 99 stamina, 94 strength, 92 aggression, and 81 jumping. Mm. Um, but it, it's just slightly frustrating because 88 sprint speed, yeah, you can you can get that up to 98 with a chem style, but you're wasting 15 points of that boost on acceleration, which is already maxed out. So whether you'd want to do that, I don't know. Uh, in spite of that, I'm sure this guard's unbelievably good in game uh, because he has so many other stats that are maxed out. Mm-hmm. And I think the other player, like I wanted to just mention quickly, was uh, John Stones. He, I know he's from the first week, but he actually looks like maybe one of the best centre backs in the Premier League now. Yeah, I know what you mean. So so good on the ball. He's got almost uh, 99 on his passing stats. 99 short passing, 98 mm. long passing, which is pretty incredible. And also, of course, 
like pace in the 90s with Shadow. Um, really good defensive stats. Going to be maxed out basically with Shadow again. You know, really good strength. Um, basic 91. You, I mean, basically, you're going to be your all-round centre-back and has solid agility with 77. So, uh, not sure either. So, I think perfect link to John Stone's centre-back as well. You mean Kyle Walker, right? I mean Kyle Walker. Yeah, cool. Uh, <laughs> he does, of course, also have a perfect link to himself. But yeah. Yeah, if, if only. Just uh, a team of Cristiano Ronaldo's. Many, yeah, many stains. Many, many stains. Uh, another player that I really like the look of, I think you've used some of his, uh, you've got at least one of his informs mm. as a red card, is Victor Moses, his mm. right wing back card. You can get a combination in the right corner of Stone Moses. Stone, Stone uh, mm. Ben, you're all over the puns <laughs> this week. But uh, yeah, that Victor Moses card looks excellent. I think this is uh, sort of, certainly his first first one of his cards where you can max out his defending stats uh, and it's quite a significant difference from his 84 that he had before this 89 rated card with shadow this one gets maxed out pace uh, and 99 defending across the board and i actually like really love the 82 rated card mm. um literally like flawless for quite a while until kind of i guess creep creep and increase in quality of player kind of caught up with him his aggression is probably the only thing that he lacks and he still kind of lacks aggression yeah um, that's a fair point but apart from that great having four star skills a few people on twitter were mentioning that i say a few people one person <laughs> mentioned they liked <laughs> having marcelo and moses for the kind of the double four star left and right back quite fun and i think this is he's one of the players that just has that kind of all-round quality yeah that it's just really fun to play with at this part of the game, basically. Yeah, and it's actually interesting comparing that Moses card with the uh, 88 Trippier card that just came out in uh, this team of the match day, uh, who I was looking at and thinking could be quite a nice card to pick up. But uh, I think other than aggression, and to be honest, Trippier's aggression isn't great. Moses sort of blows him out of the water. Mm. Uh, Trippier doesn't get maxed out defending, even with Shadow. He doesn't get maxed out pace, though he is close. Uh, his dribbling stats are all just a little bit worse than Moses'. Uh, it's only really on the passing where Trippier, Trippier chumps him mm-hmm. uh, with his 99 crossing, 91 long passing, 96 curve. Uh, so I'm sure that Trippier card will be excellent, but worth noting that uh, among all the England type that Victor Moses is probably <laughs> a slightly better card overall. Yeah, um, I think we're pretty much ready to wrap up Team of the Match Day. As always, if you've got any recommendations for players for us to try and send them in. And I think the final thing to say would be, oh my... Look at that, Musa. <laughs> that wasn't the final thing to say. But. I was just flicking through the uh, the previous cards, and we, we spotted that that ninety uh, eighty nine rated Musa card. You've really ruined the illusion that we do this all from memory now. <laughs> but actually, it's, it is fortunate that he has three star weak foot, and uh, he's quite small. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was I was getting flashbacks to, to previous years where he, he was a terror of defenses, but he mm. he's not actually he doesn't really fit the meta that well this year. Yeah, exactly. And I think on that note, we're probably ready to finish off this week's podcast. Very shortly, leaving Moscow to head to Nizhny Novgorod, which mm-hmm. is an interesting place. You, you weren't allowed to visit there as a foreigner um, when the Cold War was. Well, actually, just when the Soviet Union was the Soviet yeah, Union. Yeah, I think and, until the, the collapse of the Soviet Union, and it used to be called Gorky. These, uh-huh. are, these are the couple of facts that we've picked up on our minimal research. And we're staying quite near Gorky Park as well. Yeah, at the moment in Moscow. It's a great place, Moscow. I'd, I'd say, you know, you get what you put in. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been great having you all listeners. Uh, we will hopefully talk to you again before too long. And before we leave you, a little challenge for you. If you can guess this charm that's going on right now, um, drop us a tweet. And uh, another challenge, subscribe to us. You can do that via various podcast platforms.
At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today. Because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Sports Social Podcast Network.